Andrew Matson, welcome to Winning with Data. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Alec. Yeah, great to have you here with my co-host, Alec Coughlin. So you name yourself online the dashboard doctor. Can you tell us what's behind that? I love thinking through design and how do we convey information to different stakeholders to drive outcomes. And fortunately or unfortunately, the dashboard tends to be the main modality that that information gets conveyed in business. And so fixing that dashboard has a huge lift for a lot of the businesses that I work with. And it sounds great. You know, drop alliteration, it'll get you 90% of the way there. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated in this topic. You know, a common connection of ours, David Gonzo Gonzalez talks a lot about, is a dashboard really a product output? Is a dashboard supposed to truly be the end of a user experience? Often a product is really turned into a screenshot that someone sends on a text. So where are dashboards at today in terms of how they're thought of in, in productization of any value that comes from data analytics? And how has your view of that changed over the years? There's a big spectrum in how the dashboard's viewed. You know, 10 years ago, five years ago, we really were hearing the message of self-serve analytics is going to save so much time. We're going to build these great quote unquote products and, and stakeholders are going to serve themselves and get all the answers on their own. And then we'll be able to work on more strategic products. And that just really hasn't come to pass. And so thinking more about data in general as a product is becoming more and more popular. Uh, Sanjeev Mohan is the data product guru. And really thinking about what's your, ed with any product, what's your end result? What are you really trying to drive? And then what are the levers you can pull to get there? It, it likely isn't a dashboard. And so rethinking through the strategy is important for a lot of up and coming companies. And then legacy companies with thousands of dashboards, it's going to be a big lift figuring out how do we drive insights and how do we handle this legacy infrastructure. And what about what a user does when they're in a dashboard or in something like a dashboard? You know, they used to be only static and then Tableau switched people on to filtering and sorting and all sorts of interactive features. And 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 now scenario testing is is so common. And that's that's a feature set that we released recently, but it's nothing new. Talk to me about what happens in a dashboard and 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 how users are getting more and more interactive. It depends on the user. So I'm finding a lot of sort of middle management, use them very frequently for analytics and for data exploration because they need to get into the nitty gritty where folks who are on the ground maybe don't use them as much because the raw data is more applicable to what they need to do. And then executives typically just want reports. They don't want to dig in and, and figure out what are the underlying mechanisms. If they do, they can just ask someone, but they need to know, here's my five KPIs that are important to me. I want to be able to see it on my phone and I want to be able to see the most updated information at any time. Yeah, there's a lot there. I, I'd love to learn about another thing that's evolved a lot, which is stakeholder expectations. Sometimes it used to be, give me the answer. And then it was, give me some answers that I can click around it. And now it's maybe I'd like to get some answers ourselves. So, so how is, how has that changed and how are you seeing this, this self-service play come into different businesses? With thinking about data as a product, understanding the needs of your users and what their outcomes are is critically important. And a difficult part of that is becoming a subject matter expert in the business. Before it used to be that you could just be a data person and you could build excellent pipelines and you could build analytics and then hand them over to the business and the business could figure out how to use them. But now you need to understand the business and you need to understand what your executives or your stakeholders are trying to accomplish and then what 
information they need to accomplish that? And then what's the best modality and timing for them to receive that information? And thinking through that process and having a strategy around it, it's difficult, but it's so much more effective and it'll save so much more wasted time and hours. And building automation around that is is critical for a lot of companies to do this quickly. What's your response when someone says non-data people don't know what they're looking at, at that's, that's my domain, and data insights are dangerous in the wrong hands? I mean, it could be true. I, I think data insights dangerous in the wrong hands is true for any of us. It's it's like statistics, right? There's trade-offs with anything. Just because your p-value is less than 0.05 doesn't necessarily mean you've got a significant value. Like there's trade-offs with any strategy, with any information that you have. And I think if you create a poor data product that just provides out of context information or directional information, and those trade-offs aren't made clear, then you're making decisions on sketchy information. So it's okay, in my opinion, to provide directional or sketchy information, as long as that that is made very clear. Maybe you as an executive need to make a quick decision and we can't get you, we don't have time to check it 40 times, but we can tell you, hey, Jake, here's the best info we have. We're 70% confident in this information and that you can make a risk-adjusted decision. I think that's so key. There's a huge difference between research projects where you're trying to optimize the model and, and, and then practical projects where you just need good enough. Exactly. And sometimes data teams will get stuck on building a model. Your, your group builds great predictive models and makes it easy. But sometimes trying to optimize for that extra 1% accuracy or 1% F1 score takes so much more time and resources. It's like, okay, was let's maybe be good enough. Or maybe logistic regression with its increased observability is good enough rather than building a really robust neural network. It, it really just depends. But as data people, understanding the trade-offs and making those clear to our stakeholders is key because then you can, you can know, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm good with good enough or I'm really not good with good enough. We're going to be audited on this. So we really need to be super buttoned up. Yeah, it's a really good point. Sometimes it is all about expectation setting. I want to come back once more to, to dashboards. If if product endpoints and user experience endpoints are no longer dashboards, what are they or what will they become? I think that there's a lot of growth and experimentation there. I think dashboards will always be part of the portfolio of data products, and it'll just need to live with the right people. Dashboards are excellent. Tableau is an excellent system for data exploration, but maybe not great for reporting. Automating some of that reporting, building out automation in emails, just how do you get that information out? Super key. With the rise of AI and large language models, we've seen Tableau Pulse come out where it's really trying to create personalized information and customizing that to your stakeholders. Um, ASU's recently signed a contract with OpenAI, where we're trying to really think, how can we use AI to optimize the faculty effectiveness, the student experience, student success? And a lot of that may be abstracting away the process of having to dig through data and just asking the LLM what you want to know in regular language and having the semantics and the logic on the back end to understand, okay, Jake's really looking for 
the withdrawal rate of a student. Let me pull that out and provide that to him. And Andrew, let me let me jump in on that because you just led it right to an area I wanted to get into in regards to the relationship with OpenAI. Could you help the audience understand just a couple of flavors of use case that you're aware of? You know, for example, I would be so interested from a student's experience how and where the classroom this is augmenting or enhancing, you know, the experience as a student and the professor and student relationship and or homework, for example, versus workshopping and and all that kind of stuff. Anything you know in that space would be fascinating because I know a lot of people want to know. Yeah. And ASU hasn't decided what our strategy is yet. We've got a big working session coming up next month where we're bringing use cases and, and talking through them. But where we've seen it with other companies, for instance, Khan Academy and bringing Conmigo, where it's really a tutor, right? It's kind of the TA where it understands what the answer is. It understands the parameters of don't provide the answer, but do provide steps to help engage with the student and enhance understanding. On the faculty side, I know some of the units have been talking about how can we use AI to help us build course materials or analyze a course catalog and provide rubrics to help us engage better with the students. I think with administration, being able to access that information, as we spoke about being able to just ask an LLM, what is this metric? And being able to have the LLM accurately provide that to them. So there's all levels we're really looking at, but I think being able to provide that more personalized tutor touch will likely be one of the use cases. Makes sense. And I just, as a follow on, just to give you guys a big shout out, I think it's such an awesome thing that you're doing because in part, one of the things you always wonder with the next generation, what kind of tools are they, you know, native in using? What have or have they not learned to use in college versus when they get into the workforce? And um, I just think it's it's awesome that you guys had, had developed that partnership and I'm super curious to see how it unfolds. It's going to be exciting. I think there's several other universities who are following suit. I teach at a few other universities and I've heard rumblings of using AI there. I've been monitoring job postings and I've seen a lot of AI governance positions opening up at different universities. So I think everybody's getting ready. I'd love to come back to the LLM question. I think it's kind of inevitable at any data conversation now, but it's place in you know how we view or how we think about the way that we interact with data. So on one hand, I love the idea of, of every business having a kind of co-pilot. David Sachs talked about this. Everyone's looking for that kind of partner, like you talked about the TA that you can almost converse with and everyone becomes a prompt engineer. At the same time, I feel like the magic of, of these kind of technologies creates false expectations sometimes. And I think less about you know hallucination and the different kind of dangers of those models and more about just just what our expectations are of how we might interact with data. So where do you see this kind of prompt engineering sitting in a, in a suite of tools that a decision maker might use in terms of how they interact with data? Yeah, I think there's a few things there. It's in the business strategy, thinking through how you're going to use large language models. Are you going to optimize your employees or are you going to replace employees? And that's a big decision that a lot of groups are making now. We're seeing that in the tech space. And within that, it's going to increase, in my opinion, the need for experts, for AI experts to drive that quality. Because as an AI product, it's really easy, as you noted, to lose trust. So being able to have that data quality, the right business definitions and semantics, 
and the right experience for decision makers to interact with that AI at the right stage of the decision cycle is going to be a challenging topic for uh, AI products. But I think that it will be easy to hide lazy thinking behind LLMs if we're not careful. So the human in the loop should always drive the critical decision-making, the critical thinking, and then the AI, if we can keep the quality high, should be able to just optimize the experience of getting that data and presenting it in context to that decision-maker. People, process, and technology. Exactly. Yeah, we've seen already, we've seen AI hide sloppy thinking because it sounds convincing, it looks convincing, but then when you dig in, sometimes the responses that AI is providing and that humans are not challenging it and just presenting it as their own work that they're signing off on, we we find logical limitations there. So I think it's going to challenge the decision makers to verify the information and just maintain that healthy dose of skepticism around AI and then challenge the AI teams to ensure that the quality is super high and have a tight feedback loop. What are some hallmarks of mature data organizations that you see in common? I think data quality, in my opinion, <clears throat> data quality for me is the number one hallmark. If they figured out how to build their pipelines and have a single source of truth, that maybe even have a semantic layer on top of that, that's for me, key number one. Key number two is that they have FinOps in place and that they understand their data stack. I think moderately mature companies were able to get into the modern data stack area and they snapped together a bunch of these products that do a lot of different data things. But then FinOps got out of control and maybe there's some duplication and redundancy across systems. So like they were building and they were doing well, but it's not yet mature. And the immature data teams are really decentralized, in my opinion. They're separated from the business and the context of how the data relates to the business isn't there. So they haven't yet made those connections. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. And, and how does that work? Is it a hub and spoke model? Like what, what have you seen it looks like when the teams are truly integrated? I think it's different for each type of data team because you can be centralized. And I've seen a lot of teams moving towards back towards the centralized model to handle data governance in preparing to launch AI. There's federated teams with a lean either towards centralized or decentralized. But as long as they are still tightly knitted with the business and understanding what's most important to their stakeholders, that can work super well. And decentralized teams, I haven't personally seen work well. There may be a really strong use case for decentralized teams. I just, in my personal experience, haven't experienced one that works. When industries are new to all these things, what have you seen is key to adoption and efficient maturation? I think having a strategy in place and understanding like what's the end outcome of your data. We always say data is the new oil. It's like, yeah, it is the new oil because it's expensive to, to store. <laughs> it may cause damage if you don't use it correctly. So having somebody who has a clear vision of here's the outcome that we want to have with our data will really drive it rather than a bottoms up approach of, hey, we have all this data. Let me hire a data person to do stuff with it. And, and a lot of companies unfortunately start there and then they build from the ground up with little strategy. We hear that one over and over and over. The relationship 
that you've been touching on, Andrew, in relation to how much a data science practitioner, for example, needs to understand about the subject matter expertise of a business person and vice versa. I think that's something that comes up a lot in our conversations. And I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on why that trend has been developing and accelerating more recently, but I would love to hear it. In my opinion, you know, data science was an abstract concept for a lot of businesses and they didn't want to fall behind. Similar, in my opinion, as we're seeing with AI, every board over the last two years has said, launch AI, right? Like figure it out. We need to have AI. I think it was the same thing with data science five years ago, you know, build our data science capabilities, but they didn't really, in my opinion, understand what that meant. They didn't understand how could we put an ROI on this? So they built these data teams out. Maybe they got some really good models, but there wasn't that product mentality around it. But now that we're in a different economy, there's not really free money. FinOps has matured quite a bit, and we're able to understand more about like cloud costs and how much does it cost to run models. I think there's a more robust ways to determine the ROI on data teams. And to improve that ROI, I think one of the best ways to do it is getting the data teams to understand their stakeholders so much better so that when they do produce models or outcomes, it's specifically aligned with business strategy to drive the business outcomes. I'm with you. And I think what you just said there, I'm going to steal it, is you're talking about introducing more of a product mentality. Not to suggest that data science and data scientists weren't doing the right thing before, but by adding that dimension layer of business expertise, which is product you know, kind of management, leadership, and philosophy, I think you're spot on. I think it's thinking about it more so as the data product versus just perhaps the data science dimension and elevating it into the business. It makes a lot of sense. And I agree with you that they weren't necessarily doing the wrong thing. I think they were doing what was right at the time because they had to build tons of infrastructure. They really had to figure a lot of things out in order to get their pipelines to run. But now that they have a lot of the infrastructure built, there's better tools now. For instance, the tool that you have at Gemini Sports Analytics makes that a lot easier. It, it simplifies the infrastructure so that then you can think about larger business questions. If your entire day is spent really putting out fires on your CI/CD pipeline, you don't have time to be with the stakeholders and really understand what they need. But when we can abstract away a lot of the nitty gritty engineering or model creation, then we really have that time to figure out what what's the overall strategy for our business? How specifically can I plug in and drive ROI for my units? Andrew, to finish, what's one book and or podcast that folks who want to have a mature data operation should read? I think that reading Sanjeev Mohan's Data Products for Dummies, super good book. The data product is a fairly new concept and, and he goes deep. He's a former VP for Gartner, so he knows exactly what he's talking about. He's able to simplify that. In terms of a great podcast, I like Designing for Analytics where it's specifically focused on the design aspects around data products. Those are great recommendations. Andrew Madsen, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Alec. 